Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Your thoughts on the crowd's response to him all night? On the, cl- on the crowd's uh, response to Draymond? Yeah. Uh, classy. Very classy. What were your impressions of the crowd and the environment tonight, and how much was, a fact- was that a factor in the game? Um, it was not a factor. We played in front of rude people before, dropping F-bombs with children in the crowd. Real classy. Good job, Boston. Uh Uh-oh, Boston fans, we're in trouble. The Warriors are coming out and telling us that we're saying bad words. That means we gotta stop it. No chance that Game 4 will be a nut job house full of people chanting everything you don't want them to chant tonight. It's going to be a crazy game for the Boston for the Boston Celtics in the finals tonight. I can't wait for it. Up two to one at this point. You just heard me open the show with the comments that have come from the Warriors camp. And oh man, they said these chants and I didn't really like it. I feel so upset. Really classy Boston. I can't believe you would do that. Get over it. Come on. I think, I mean, everybody has the same sentiment at this point that the Warriors are just crying about something that they have no reason to cry over. Let's be honest. What, what is the point of you crying about that kind of stuff? This is a toned down fan base. If I'm being honest, we used to do some horrible stuff. And I've seen on this playoff run alone, this fan base hold back from being the horrible group that they can be at times. Let's just be honest, Boston fans. That's how it can be, but... We're now getting into the point where you got guys like Clay Thompson saying things. You got Draymond Green, you know, and his wife is now coming out on social media uh, saying things, which I'm going to get into here in a second. But man, it is a, a wild, wild time in the NBA Finals. And yes, we got other things to talk about today on the show. But obviously, we're starting off with the Celtics' main focus on them. Game four tonight in Boston. It's going to be a heck of a game because if these Warriors that are complaining so much do not bounce back, I mean, it's over, right? It's It's got to be over. And at this point, if you're a Celtics fan, I have no problem with you feeling very confident Based on what happened in that game, you have to feel confident going into game four. Now, they still have shown some of the very predictable sides of themselves. Even in that game three, in the third quarter, you still tried and you gave up the lead. You were actually down in that game uh, by one point, I believe 83 to 82 or something like that, in that after that third quarter or, or through that third quarter. So very predictable, very frustrating, but predictable in a good way, too. I was saying going into this game, you knew that they were going to bounce back, and they ended up getting the referees that would suggest that they would bounce back anyways with Scott Foster out there, the guy who is going to not take any of Draymond Green's WWE-style defense or uh, offensive lineman, defensive end type of football play out of Draymond Green, and it didn't happen. He ended up fouling out of the game. He was a no-show in this one, but you did have the return of the Splash Brothers, I would say, with Clay Thompson finally turning it on and Steph Curry doing the damn thing like he continues to do throughout this finals. He is the guy of this final still. Yes, Jalen Brown has played the best for the Celtics throughout the first three games, but Steph Curry has been 
the Steph Curry that we know him to be, and uh, it, it's shown. But, man, I, I got to just be honest. With these comments coming out, the the back-and-forth nature of the, the, you know, being upset about the fans thing, it, you just sound like babies. Why even complain about this kind of stuff? And I remember, I remember that there were things like Clay Thompson calling out the Cleveland Cavaliers for for being upset, getting offended by their crowd, saying things to him when there was a woman that called out LeBron James for being a, well, she said a bunch of inappropriate words, so I'm not going to repeat the comment, but that came from a Warriors crowd. That came from that same crowd that is rooting for you all the time. So to go into another stadium, to, to be that upset over some F.U. Draymond chance, which I get it. You shouldn't have that kind of stuff. And even Anna Horford, uh, Al Horford's wife, came out and said, uh, you know, that slurs and threats are obviously never okay, but you're going to hear the word, the B word, and you're going to hear F-bombs. It is what it is. I mean, that is just a game of basketball. You're hearing it a lot on the court itself. Draymond Green himself is saying things on the court that the crowd should not be able to repeat, right? That's basically what we're going with here. That's your defense. But... I don't know, just to just to hear all this stuff and to hear that it's just these minor things, in my opinion, the F-bombs, the B-words, that kind of stuff, that I'm much more on board for. The stuff that used to happen in Boston, that's the disgusting stuff. If they, if, if people started doing that stuff again, or even like the, the throw the water bottle at Kyrie Irving kind of crap that they were pulling, that stuff can't stand. And I would 100% back you on being upset in your post-game press conference about that. But this... The F you Draymond chance after everything that happened in game two, after the way that he was, you know, calling out the Celtics and all these kind of things that were happening. Of course, you were going to get that. Of course, you were going to get that. But you even had Draymond's wife coming out and saying things on her social media account, posting a, a, a nice little message that said tough loss tonight. But in no way, shape or form, should fans be allowed to chant obscenities at players? Are they not human? Is some is someone standing at your job st- saying off the wall things to you? The NBA has the audacity to have a whole code of conduct card at every seat about fans and their behavior and how they could be ejected from a game or banned, but a whole crowd section, numerous people get to chant "F you, Draymond." So I get it, right? It's inappropriate technically, but come on. You just sound like babies. And then on top of that, Draymond, to go into your press conference and have your little kid sitting right next to you, and they asked you how'd you play, Draymond, and your response was this. Marcus Thompson, the athletic. Draymond, how do you, how do you feel you played? Like- Boom. Yeah, you have no leg to stand on anymore. It's over. You, you don't. So, uh have fun crying some more, but it's not going to matter going forward. All right. I'm going to keep talking about this Celtics game. I haven't even broken into the game yet and talking about the actual basketball that was played. We've only talked about the complaining about the crowd. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. First finals game here at the TD Garden since June 13th. 2010. That's 12 years ago. The Celtics beat the Lakers to go up three games to two of those finals. Back up top, Wiggins drives on Horford, spins up and under. Porter launches a contested shot. It's good. Otto Porter nails it. It's a two-point game. Al Horford not up high enough. 
Curry launches a three, puts it in. Steph Curry lighting it up here in the third. Al Horford, what were you doing? What what were you doing? What were you doing in some of those moments? Why were you the guy when you're supposed to be the veteran on the team, the guy that understands the moment and what you're supposed to do on defense, and yet you are the one with giving way too much room to Steph Curry on multiple scenarios, multiple times, letting this guy get back in and giving him too much space. You know it's Steph Curry. If you give him an inch, he's taking a mile, that kind of thing. He is the guy. He's the one where the range is for him, if you have a shooting chart for Steph Curry, it should look like once he steps over the half-court line, he's in range. That's that's it. You don't give him room once he gets on to the offensive side of the court for him. It's just not how it should go. It's So I don't understand what was going on with Al in that game. I'm not going to tell you that Al had an overall bad performance because he did have some great moments, some big threes, good defensive plays, blocks, everything that he needed to really do, he did them. But then you had moments like this, and it could be that he was just tired. I get that. He's getting older. He played another 30 minutes in this one, and he's been going nonstop throughout this entire playoff run, desperately trying to get this team to where it needs to be, and he had an efficient game. 11 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. He only took 7 shots. He was 5 of 7 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3-point range. Now, he did miss both his free throws, but he had a steal, a block, and no turnovers in the game. So, great job by Al Horford in those statistical categories, but man... The things that don't show up on the stat sheet, him not getting in the face of Steph Curry, him backing off, sagging off, give them the two down low. I don't care. Stop giving up the easy three when they do a high screen and roll with Draymond Green and all of a sudden Steph Curry has two or three feet between him and Al Horford and he's jacking up a three and hitting them. That's one of the major reasons that you ended up losing that third quarter. And that's one of the major reasons that they were actually get back, able to get back in this game. Now, I got to ask also, at this point, I'm starting to be concerned about it, and I understand. It's good when you can be the fourth quarter team that's able to come back, but is this Celtics playoff team the worst third quarter playoff team of all time? They've got to be up there, right? They've got to be ranked that high. They have lost so many third quarters on this playoff run, and once again, it's great to be the fourth quarter team that's able to come back. But it feels as though you come out of halftime flat time and time again, and then you have to be pushed into a corner so you're that animal that reacts instead of the one having the killer instinct and be able to step on throats and really be able to take advantage coming out of the halftime with a possible lead or, or coming out of that third quarter, I should say, with a possible lead. And sometimes they're able to, you know, right the ship at the end of the third quarter, but I don't count that as being good. You're certainly giving up an entire third quarter worth of bad play, and it always happens. And yes, the Warriors are the best third quarter team they have been that all year, but technically, the Celtics were the second best third quarter team all regular season. So what happened? What happened? Once you get into the playoffs, now you can't play in the third quarter? Is it because Ime is not getting you pumped up enough coming out of the locker room? Is it because you actually take that halftime as a full-time break and you shut yourself down and now you're coming out cold out of halftime? What is it, Celtics? What is it, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart? What, what do you guys need to get pumped up in a third quarter and come out with your hair on fire ready to set that game ablaze with all of your intensity, all all of your aggression and all of your defense, I don't understand it. But instead, you have guys, even like Al Horford, like I said, sagging off at 
pivotal times in the game and giving up threes, allowing them to create momentum and build something towards getting an actual lead in this game. They had a lead two times in this game. I believe when it was two to nothing. And then when it was 83 to 82, those were the two times. So you, you completely blanked them in the first half. Great job, able to stay ahead of the game. And you've been able to do that in most games. But then that third quarter comes around all of a sudden. We're in a position where it's just mayhem for the Celtics. They can't th figure things out. They can't get out of their own way. And all of a sudden, the Warriors are in a position where they can get a lead. It's just disgusting. I'm expecting it again in game four. <laughs> Regardless of how the way that the game is going, I'm still expecting them to come out flat in the third quarter. How sad is that? How sad is it that we have to, you know, look at our Celtic squad and think that there's no way that they're ever going to even compete in a third quarter? I remember earlier in this playoff run, I believe it was against the Heat, when they finally just tied them in a third quarter. And I was like, hallelujah. All of a sudden, we got a, a good effort in a third quarter. And now we're going to be able to go on in the fourth quarter and win this game because that's one when they shine. That's great. That's great. But when you're, when you're asking for your team to just be able to tie the third quarter, that's a little sad. It is. It really is. So I'm upset with that. I don't know what they're going to be able to do to change something in those uh, along those lines. I don't understand how they could do it. It's got to be something from the coach getting you a better halftime pump-up speech, or maybe your heart and soul can lead you out there and tell the team that they need to actually show up in the third quarter. Because, yes, it's great that they can be a great fourth-quarter team. It's great that they can make these comebacks. And, of course, we want them to win whatever way. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. But, man you got to feel that anxiety in those third quarters whenever it rolls around and you know that your team's just not going to show up. They're just not going to they're just going to take a quarter off. And yeah, they'll probably get hot in the fourth and it'll be all exciting, but we're not doing it for the TV or the movie, you know, <laughs> script in the future. We're trying to actually just win basketball games. Just win them. And you could do that in the third quarters and yet you decide not to. So, I, I don't understand it. All right, I got to keep talking about this Celtics game and the game 4 that's coming up tonight. I'm looking forward to it. So stay right here on 90.7 WKKL. We'll do more of that when we come back after this. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. People's feelings get hurt, even if they're called a bad word. Um, I guess his feelings just got hurt. <laughs> Dropping half bombs with children in the crowd. Real classy. Good job, Boston. All right, well, I just had to play that clip because you go back to the 2016 NBA Finals where it's the Warriors against the Cavaliers, that series where they blew the 3-1 lead, and you had a fan from the Warriors yelling at LeBron James as he was going off of the court in that game saying that he was a, a, a B-word, basically. That's, I, I, that's as much as I can get into it. If you haven't heard the comments before, you can go and look for it. The woman that yells at, that heckles LeBron James after the Warriors-Cleveland finals game. And Clay comes out and talks to the media, and he says, well, I guess that, you know, he's got to deal with it, and he just got his feelings hurt. I don't know, something like that. But now you flip it to 2022, and you have Clay Thompson dealing with fans yelling from Boston and all of a sudden, oh, you're real classy, Boston. Well, maybe he's matured, you know, in 2016, people can change, I guess, right? So I guess we think of it that way. But man, it just looks bad for Clay. It looks bad for Draymond. Like I said in the last segment, you got him or, or in the first segment, you got Draymond coming out and saying that or his wife coming out and saying that it wasn't classy and that kind of stuff for hearing those kind of chants. And then once again, he goes into the press conference. He's got his son right next to him, and they ask him, how did he play? And he says, I played like 
S word. That's, you know, so I don't like you do that right in front of your son. You have no leg to stand on when you're complaining about the crowd chanting F you Draymond. I, I'm sorry. That's just how it goes. So I don't know. I, I don't want to keep talking about this too much. It is funny to me, though. And I, you know, you got tweets coming out from guys like Jason Dumas, who works for uh, the Bleacher Report and said, I've chatted with multiple Warriors staffers who work in various different roles in the organization, and their experience here in Boston has been crazy. One told me, I had to take off my Dubs shirt Wednesday morning because I kept getting cussed out. Another said, I've been flipped off 17 times while in Boston. Well, I mean, hey, you know, it is Boston. And you probably weren't, you know, using your directional or you weren't going quickly enough when it was a, uh, a yellow light and somebody got upset about it and they were up your butt and beeping at you and cussing you out. They were probably going to do that anyways. It doesn't matter if you're wearing a Warriors shirt or not. It's just a little extra added motivation at this point. I think that's just normal Boston, if we're being honest. That's just, you know, Boston. And people are going to do that. That's that's how it goes. That's we're an angry bunch. We're an aggressive group. That's how it is. I'm sorry, uh, you know, to any of the Warriors staffers who are going around Boston. But yeah, maybe just don't wear your shirt. I don't know if you're or or be a man about it and, and just don't care when people flip you off or when they cuss you out. Because if they're not physically doing anything to you, why do you care? What? Why do you? Why does that matter? How is that affecting you? You could just laugh at them. I don't. <laughs> Until somebody is actually physically accosting you, that is unacceptable, obviously. But if they're just verbally saying something to you, I'm sorry, but you can do a thing called ignoring it. That's also a, you know, you can be an adult and just ignore it. I get it that they're not being adults. They're being children. But you don't have to, you know, complain about it and sound like a baby. You can, you can just, you know, ignore it. I don't know. It seems like an easy thing to me. But anyways, great game from the Celtics. Other than that third quarter, I thought that you come out and you really started game three with a fire and intensity. And obviously Jalen Brown led the way. Once again, Jalen Brown is your main go-to guy. And that's what, another reason why you got to actually feel a little bit worried, I would think, if you're a Warriors team. Because so far, Tatum he's, hasn't even had his Tatum breakout you know, performance in the finals. He's now had game one. He was the terrible shooter with 12 points. He did have the 13 assists, but still unexcusable from the offensive side. Game two was his best game. He had the 28 points, but he didn't even play the fourth quarter because they were getting routed at that point. And then you have game three where he doesn't shoot good again, not as good as he should, not efficiently, but has a 26 points, nine assists, six rebounds. He's been able to do his thing the whole time, but he has not had a Jason Tatum performance. He has not gone out there and dropped like a meaningful 40 points or something crazy like that. So he still has that in his bag. We all know that. I mean, Steph Curry has played as good as he possibly can. Steph Curry has done his thing throughout all three games. He's scored right around that 30-point mark or better, right? He had uh, game one, 34, 29 in, in game two, and 31 in game three. So he has clearly done his thing throughout the entire playoffs. He just hasn't gotten that much help. He finally got Klay Thompson to get going in this last one. You have Wiggins, who has been doing some things, but just been inefficient while doing it. So he's not getting any help. 
The Celtics are getting help from all of their players, their role players. Everybody's doing something. You even have Grant Williams, who finally woke up in that game. Though it wasn't an overwhelming stat performance, he still had a great 10-5 and off the bench, though he was missing some threes. So I was impressed by his performance. You had Marcus Smart showing up, and though he was jacking up a lot of shots that I was still hating, he still had some good moments as well in it throughout the game. The turnovers, though, man. The turnovers is one thing that Marcus Smart still can't figure out right now. He, he, he had another five turnovers in this game and was trying to lead the, the show once again. So I got to ask, is the heart and soul getting back to his old ways and, and just trying to be that, that third superstar on the team or that, that big three guy uh, on the team to, in this one? Because I don't know if it's going to actually matter or not. But I don't want to see it. I just, I don't want to see it. Yes, I know that they had that crazy stat where it was the first time in an NBA Finals game that all three players had 20 and 5 assists or 5 rebounds in each single game or, or in, in the game together since the 84 Lakers where they did it. Uh, you know, something crazy like that. But, I mean, he's still been playing really bad, right? We all agree that Marcus Smart has not been playing good basketball. He's been playing well enough, and the Celtics have gotten performances from everybody else that's been good enough. It's just, I don't I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's a great Marcus Smart series, and I don't want him to fly off the handle and go crazy rogue in Game 4. That's all I'm really hoping for at this point. All right. I got a little bit more to say about the Celtics and the NBA. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Once again, important minutes off the bench for Pritchard. Doesn't play big minutes, but important ones. Smart, four to shoot, Peyton, right in his face. And he banks it in. Marcus Smart from downtown. And Peyton can't believe it. Yeah, I don't think many of us could believe it. Marcus Smart's out there banking in threes when he's got a defender right in his face. I'm not. I'm yelling at him no every single time. I mean, I think that most of us are at this point. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could trust in Marcus Smart the way he's been shooting throughout this playoffs or, or throughout this final series. You don't want him jacking up those shots. I saw him at multiple times take it into his own hands, dribble a few times, and try and jack up a shot. No, it wasn't late in the shot clock. No, it wasn't a reasonable thing to do because of the moment the situation whatever it was it was just Marcus Smart being Marcus Smart thinking that he could go out there and light it up offensively when you can't and we don't need that anyways we need you to focus on other things Smart and you know whatever at this point Celtics might be able to win this series even with Marcus Smart doing the crazy stuff that he does sometimes going flying off the handle going rogue and trying to do his own offensive stuff he does enough obviously, to help the team, and I would say he's a net positive at the end of the day, but, uh, man, I, I don't think that the Warriors have enough at this point, point. and you had even the situation with the loose ball where Curry gets landed on late in the game in the fourth quarter by Horford, uh, and then Draymond gets a foul and gets fouled out of the game, and you got Curry visibly limping and bending over during timeouts and things like that. Now, he has been reported saying that he is going to play in game four, but how banged up actually is he? How how much is that going to affect him? Getting landed on once again by a Celtics player. This time it was Al Horford. Last time it was Marcus Smart, and it kept him out for the rest of the year, and they were able to go on the playoff run afterwards. But, man, Steph Curry with another injured leg incident 
against the Celtics. This one not dirty in any sense. You couldn't think it was a bunch of dives on the floor by both teams. And you got Draymond trying to tackle people on the floor at all times anyway. So no no dirty play. But it's it's now a situation where you're going into game four. Celtics have the two-to-one lead. And you need another great performance out of Steph Curry because he has been the only reason the Warriors have been in this series so far. And he just got another injury. An injury that has people questioning, Steph, are you going to be able to play in this game? And he says, yeah, I'm going to play. But, you know, is it going to be 100%? Probably not. Now, he didn't say that, but... Everything is leading us to believe that there's no way that he could be 100% after something like that would happen. And it was only going to get worse after the game, right? I mean, obviously, you can hobble through the game. You got a little bit of an adrenaline rush. You're going to get through the rest of that game three, though it was looking like he was in pain the entire time. It's only going to get worse when that adrenaline finally grows goes away and you're sitting at home and that leg is starting to blow up or whatever. So we'll see what he is going to look like tonight. That is going to be a big storyline, in my opinion, as to what happens with this game overall. Because if Curry is not there to be your igniter at all times, then you need a dominant performance from Klay Thompson. You need Draymond Green to actually show up and do something. You need your your all these other guys off of your bench, your Jordan Pools, your uh, or your starter and Wiggins. You need those guys to step up and actually show it, it themselves on a road game four in Boston where the crowd is going to be going nuts. I don't believe it. I don't think that they're going to be able to do it. I've predicted... Games two and three to a T at this point. I don't want to, you know, you know, pat myself on the back too much right now, but I was starting to get worried going into game four. I felt like this was going to be a hard one to talk about, hard one to predict, I would say. But with Steph Curry having a leg injury and the Boston crowd already being riled up and the Celtics players seeming like they're smelling blood in the water for once, I'm expecting them to come out and have a great performance tonight. I'm expecting them to have another big home win, put this game, put this series pretty much out of reach, and go up 3-1 in this series. Now, I'm not going to change the fact that I think that they're going to lose Game 5 in, in Golden State. I think that Golden State still has enough to punch back at home. But at this point right now, regardless of how this team has been on the road versus home, and in the home games, they have given up. You know, you know That's how they've given up in the series at times. I still believe that this team is going to come out tonight, and they are going to put on a good performance, and they're going to be able to stretch the series lead to 3-1, and you're going to go back to Golden State thinking, man, this Celtics squad only needs to win one more game for Banner 18. Crazy to think thinking back to where we were before the trade deadline when this team was an under 500, underachieving squad that we thought should be traded, break the whole team up, break up the duo of the Jays, all that kind of stuff. I was on board with it. And now you could be one game away. If you put in a good performance tonight, you could be one game away from winning the NBA Finals. Who would have thunk it? Nobody. I'm just going to say that right now. Nobody thought that when they were under 500. I don't care. Even the guy who got the 2022 championship banner tattoo on his arm before the season started thought that that was a horrible decision when they were under 500 in January and trying to figure things out before the trade deadline. 
everyone thought it was not a possibility that they were even going to make the playoffs at that point. So I don't want to hear that from anybody. There were no green teamers that was predicting this would happen. I'm sorry. There wasn't enough green goo in the entire universe for you to be, you know, thinking that this team was a great team back then. That's just the case that it is. But we're here now. We're all on the same team. We're all rooting for this Celtics squad to be able to get where they need to be. And I'm thinking they're going to do it. I think that they are going to win tonight. Yeah, they'll lose game five. But then they win game six in Boston. Green for 18. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I'm excited about it. I'm sure you guys can tell. So go Celtics. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Hopefully it's on a good note. I feel like it's going to be on a good note. I'm predicting another win from the Celtics tonight. We'll see how that goes. But we got to get into some other topics. All right, we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Well, I had term on my deal, as you know, and I wanted to come back and coach the Bruins. I mean, it's been a privilege and an honor. Um, you know, the 14 years here, Joe, in, in different capacities in the organization, I mean, the, the Bruin is basically tattooed to, to me. So that's a difficult part, uh, the friendships you make, uh, the business relationships with, with people, uh, the personal relationships, raw deal. You know, you know, I don't know uh, about that, Joe. I, I feel I did my job. Uh, we can always get better. Uh, we can always be better. Um, every coach, uh, player, management, anybody goes walks away from the game at the end of the year. Where where could I have done better to be the last team standing? It's not that easy. We were close. Uh, obviously, in nineteen, um, still bothers me to this day. What we could have done better. But at the end of the day, um, I understand the business part of it. I really do that, you know, coaches come and go. I got an opportunity, Hags, because a very good coach got let go who won a Stanley Cup here. So I get it. Um, and at the end of the day, um, did I still want to be here? Absolutely. Do I want to coach in this league? Uh, yes, as soon as possible, because it's what, it's what I do. I coach and I love to do it. Terrible. Terrible way that this was all handled for this squad, this Bruins squad, handling the Bruce Cassidy firing. I I just don't understand it. It, He even goes on to make more comments. That was the Bruce Cassidy press conference that he basically held by himself because he's been fired, been let go from this Bruins squad for what I think was the wrong reasons, but we can get into that. He went on to say it did catch him by surprise when Sweeney came over and told him Because supposedly, Don Sweeney had told him before that he was going to bring back Bruce Cassidy. So if that was the case, if Don Sweeney is going around there and making these proclamations that he is going to keep Bruce Cassidy on this squad, he's going to bring him back, he wants him in the fold for the next year, and then all of a sudden he blindsides him with, yeah, you're fired, Bruce. I think that they absolutely bundled this whole entire thing, not only the decision. Yes, I disagree with the decision, and we can talk about that, but as even Cassidy said in that little clip, he came on after Claude Julian was let go, and he was a Stanley Cup-winning coach for this team. So, yes, obviously we had all soured on him by the end, and he had had back-to-back non-playoff performances with the team, but... Obviously, Cassidy was coming in for that. That's a big name. That's a guy who won you a Stanley Cup, all of that kind of stuff. So... I mean, I know that change needs to happen sometimes, and we're not going to agree with it, but can we all agree that this whole situation was a horrible job by the Bruins' upper management in figuring out what they were going to do and explaining it and letting it be known 
to not only the head coach, but the, the rest of the organization. I don't understand how you're going to go and tell a guy one minute, yes, we're planning on bringing you back, Bruce Cassidy, and then the next second you're saying, oh, actually, we're, you're, we're firing you. That's that's how we're actually going to do this thing. All right, see you later. We wish you the best. Great job. Congre- congratulations on all your success with the Bruins. Go find some other gig. I, I mean, I get it. I know it's a business. I know that you can't be so you know uptight about these kind of things, but in sports you do. You kind of fall for your guys, and you want to fight for your guys, and you hope that they're going to get the right opportunities and get a fair shake at what they're supposed to do, but you can run into some things in all types of business, right? It doesn't just have to be a professional organization for the NHL or the NFL or the NBA or the uh, you know MLB, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a sports organization. Business decisions happen. They just happen, and they are not always made for the right reasons. They're not always made for the, or made by the brain. Sometimes they're made by the wallet. Or sometimes they're made by the fact that you got friendships and you just happen to know, you know, Cam Neely. And all of a sudden, since you guys are buddy-buddy, now Don Sweeney gets to keep his job. And Bruce Cassidy, who has done a phenomenal job, in my opinion, yes, obviously 2019 stunk. That stunk, and we we blew a huge opportunity. But he has done a phenomenal job, in my opinion, of making this Bruins team a perennial playoff contender getting to at least the second round of the playoffs in the majority of the times that he's been here, getting to around or over 100 points on the season for the majority of the time that he's been your head coach. I Like, I get it. Something has to change, and the whole thing was the locker room presence and how he's calling out the lesser players and all that kind of stuff. I think he was calling out everybody the same, though, if we're, if we're being honest. And some of the upper, the, the veteran guys, the guys like Patrice Bergeron didn't like it. And they're obviously letting that be known to the Don Sweeney's and the Cam Neely's of the world so that they can, you know, make their decisions. But I don't know. It was just a uh, it was a horrible decision on my in my opinion. We're going to see how it works out, because now, once again, as I said, the last last show, now your head is on the chopping block, Don Sweeney. There's no other. And Cam Neely, you can't do anything. You've used your one get out of jail free card as far as I'm concerned for Don Sweeney. This was the one chance. Where it's like, okay, Don, you're going to get one more ride because you're my my bestie. But if you don't do anything with this one and you don't do it soon, I can't protect you anymore. Because that's how it should be. You can't protect Don Sweeney anymore. And, and I've been one of the guys trumpeting Don Sweeney being actually a good GM. I, I've been one of the ones talking about his good moves as well as his bad moves. And yes, there were bad moves as well. Maybe a little bit more bad moves than good moves. But I haven't said that Don Sweeney has been the absolute worst GM in the world. I've actually liked some of his trades and some of his contract signings, especially with our better players. But when you get to this position here, and now you've made it all about Bruce Cassidy, he's the reason we're getting rid of the problem right now. Let's figure out the new solution going forward. Okay, it's your head on the chopping block then. If this team hasn't turned around within the next two, three seasons and been right back to where they were, which was a perennial playoff team with a chance to win a cup pretty much every single year, depending on the goalie situation or if somebody got injured or whatever, pretty much every single year they had a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals, and yet you fire this coach, we're going to see how things go. So, I, I don't know. I think they bundled the entire situation. You tell Bruce Cassidy one second that he's going to be back, then the next second he's fired. Don Sweeney, it's on you next, man. You're, you're up. You're, you're the one with the head on the chopping block, and here we go. We're going to find out what happens going forward. All right.
We got to talk a little bit about the Red Sox before we get to the end of the show. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Third blast of the season is the streak over. Back to Otani. Jackie Bradley Jr. swing on a high heat. Otani pumped. Two batters later. Strike three. Splitter to Jonathan Arauz. Shutdown inning. Otani dominant. Angels win it 5 2 and snap a franchise record 14 game losing streak. It's over. Shohei Otani doing it all. Seven innings, scatters four hits, one earned, two walks, six strikeouts, two for four, homers, 12th of the season. And Phil Nevin earns his first win as interim manager, taking over for Joe Madden. Red Sox seven game win streak is over. It's the Angels' first win since May 24th. All right, well, it took Shohei Otani, the GOAT, Gotani, to be able to break the Red Sox seven game win streak. And it was a great run by them. Yes, it wasn't against the best, you know, other teams. It wasn't against the the top-tier talent of the league, for sure. Though, I, I will say, and I said this before, I think that the Angels would have been a good matchup. And I do think that this lineup for the Angels is still huge with guys like Otani and Trout, obviously. And they have some others in the lineup as well that are going to do some good work for them, like Walsh and, uh, you know, and... and they have some uh, Vasquez or Velasquez hit a home run for them as well, though I don't really look at him as a great batter or anything like that. So this team does have a a smattering of good batters on their team, the Angels. And yes, they are uh, they were on a 14 game losing streak. But if you take that away, obviously they were a well above 500 playoff team before that whole thing started. So it took Shohei Otani to change things around, and man. I mean, if you guys didn't believe in him before, obviously this was another great performance by him. Not only pitching seven innings of one-run baseball with six strikeouts in the game, but he also went two for four with a home run in the game. He had two hits, two RBIs, the home run. Great job by Otani. He is baseball to me right now. He he is the game that, you know, he's the number one guy, the face of the league, all that kind of stuff. Shohei Otani is worth the price of any ticket to go and watch him play. He's outstanding. And I love the rules of him being able to be a DH while also being the pitcher and all that kind of stuff. The Shohei Otani rules. Great stuff for him. But the Red Sox did lose for the first time in seven games, the first time all of June. And it was done, you know, even with Pavetta having a relatively good, I would say, performance overall. I mean, anytime you go through five with 11 strikeouts, that's going to be great. Obviously had some tough moments throughout the game as well. But, you know, overall, a decent job from him. And the pitching, I guess, has been doing enough recently. I know I've been harping on them lately for how their pitching has been. I mean, I've been harping on them since day one. For this this whole entire team, but when you have two games where you win them one nothing, even though it's against those Angels, you're still doing something right. You still have situation situations late in the game where the bullpen is coming in, and you got guys like Deekman getting holds or Schreiber getting holds and Strom finishing off save situations and things like that. There, you're getting enough from a team that is just pa- piecing it together with band aids and bubble gum at this point because you don't have a true closer. You do need another 
another arm or two in that bullpen or in the rotation overall. And really, I would love for it to be Whitlock, but I know they're not going to do that. They've just basically swapped out Tanner Houck for uh, Whitlock, Garrett Whitlock. And now Whitlock's going to be your starter while Houck comes out as that super reliever type role and can do a bunch of different things. And he's done fine doing that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Houck has been able to handle his business in those situations. But I don't know. I would much rather you have the starting pitching going than the the you know having to worry about putting a, a player like Hauk, who I thought had moments throughout his the start of his career where he showed signs that he could be a starter. I don't I don't understand that whole move, but I guess I don't know understand I don't understand anything that the Red Sox are doing nowadays with not paying Xander Bogarts. You're you're basically your face of your organization. Not going out and getting any more starting pitching because you have Chris Sale coming back, moving Whitlock to the starting rotation, how to the be- the bullpen rotation. I don't understand any of it. It doesn't make any sense to me, uh, you know, coming in, signing a guy like Trevor Story when you have Xander Bogarts and you're not going to give Xander Bogarts the money, even though you gave Trevor Story great money. I, I don't know. These are the kind of things, these are the kind of questions that I have for this Boston Red Sox team, and I want to know where we're going to go from here at this point. Where, where are we going to go at, when we can't bat the way that we've been batting at certain points during this season? What is this team going to be able to do defensively from a pitching standpoint? Whatever they need to do, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some good coaching decisions. Don't get me wrong. I think that, uh, you know, Alex Cora has done great with the bullpen that he has, and I think that that's one of the things that he's done great in previous seasons as well, work with a less than spectacular bullpen and be able to manage your way through things. So I've seen some good stuff from him. I've seen good base running, which has been an issue in the past. You've seen good calls from the third base coach sending runners in, you know, tied at zero games and winning games one to nothing because of good base running decisions. I've seen things improve from that side of things, the coaching and the bats have gotten better from their swing at everything attitude at the beginning of the year. But the pitching is still going to be a concern, right? Is that not a concern to anyone else? I'm sure it is. I mean, I'm not talking to nobody here at this point. The pitching is going to be a concern, and they need to figure that out going forward. Or this Boston Red Sox team is just going to be fun to watch offensively, but once again, not be able to do anything in the playoffs. That's just how it's going to be. Once their bats run out, they got nothing else to do. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. I just want to say thank you to anyone tuning in to 90.7 WKKL or 91.5 Sandwich to listen to the show. I'll be back on Wednesday next week for the Claptrap, Wednesday and Friday every week, 12 to 2. That's what we do. That's our area that we're going to talk about everything, get all the Claptrap out, all my ridiculous comments on all of these things going on but i appreciate you guys seriously for listening along it'll be up as a podcast wherever podcasts are found just search the claptrap you'll be able to find it uh and i would appreciate you listening along we will be back again next week like i said hopefully it'll be talking about how great the celtics have been doing but either way i hope you guys have a great weekend i'll be back again next week keep it right here on 90.7 wkkl for more of the capes classic alternative i'll see you next week later